الحمد لله وحده والصلاة والسلام على من لا نبي بعد أما بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وذكر فإن ذكرة تنفع المؤمنين صدق الله العظيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت وسلمت وباركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد There is an increasing amount of zulm, injustice and oppression being done in different parts of the Muslim world. Many believers become worried, sad, despondent when they see or hear or most often read about the incidents of the zulm and injustice and oppression. And many of the sincere ones, Mukhlisin, they try to reflect and think on some cure for the madness, some steps, some civic education, some social justice platform, some what we call asbab, some outward apparent means, processes, something they can do. Now, some of them do this because they may have forgotten that they should keep their gaze on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Others do so because they are sincere, but because they feel helpless and they hate that feeling of helplessness and not being able to do anything to make the injustices go away, that they feel at the very least they should do something. They can accept that maybe what they're doing will not have the effect that they wish or they intend, but they feel that for the sake of Allah SWT, to please Allah SWT, they must do something, and if Allah Ta'ala sends His mercy and acceptance, He will accept their small efforts. This is the right way and the right path to pursue. So the first category are those who just feel sad and depressed and do nothing about the injustices, but rather their sadness at the injustices makes them more lazy in their own being, makes them more lax in their own being. This is the worst response. This is the worst type of reaction. So it could not be part of the solution and ended up, in fact, adding to the problem by themselves becoming more dysfunctional in their ibadah, in their taqwa, in their worship, in their piety, in their relationships with others. Second response is to overestimate one's power to affect things and to forget that these matters are ultimately decided and governed by Allah and to insist on some massive platform of action to the neglect of other branches of being, efforts of being, to the neglect of sometimes even their own ibadah or seeking knowledge of deen or understanding Qur'an al-Kareem or understanding the seerah of Nabi al-Kareem, sallallahu And even sometimes some of them go even further to suggest that the learning and studying of deen or the da'wah or inviting others to deen or guiding others out of sin, that all of these efforts are pointless because of the gross injustices and that everybody should drop every other aspect, branch, teaching, learning of deen and all efforts should be directed towards eliminating the injustices in the world. 
But this is the fallacy and the flaw in this is the overestimating human agency, overestimating the role the human being has to play in this world. Similar to the second group is another extreme, where another group which has another extreme, which they take the position that because everything is obviously, certainly, ultimately decided by Allah Ta'ala and governed in his affair, therefore humans should do nothing. And they should not try in any way to repel and remove the injustices on earth. Or even at most they should just accept or think that the injustices are due to the sins of people and as long as until people are sinning, injustices will prevail. There's an element of truth to this, but the reality is that many times injustices are done to the innocent. Many times injustices are done to those who don't sin. And a perfect example of that are the injustices that are done to children. And even if we were to accept the statement that a person may say, well, that this is due to the sins of the adults in the society, it's still our job as slaves to try to protect those children from the injustices that are happening due to the sins of the adults in the society. It doesn't mean that we leave the children or the innocent or the unprotected, undefended, and at the whims of the tyrants and those who spread injustice. So the correct course of action is to realize and to be a humble slave of Allah SWT that all matters and affairs lie ultimately in the decision and decree of Allah SWT, but to some extent, limited extent, small extent, maybe even outwardly, apparently insignificant extent, but if we can try to determine to what extent Allah SWT in His Hidayah has, has guided us, that we should try to speak up against injustice and try to repel and refute injustice, we should try to do that. And this is basically one very good way to understand what Allah SWT has mentioned many times in the Quran, Al-Amr bil-Maruf wa nahyan al-Munkar, to enjoin and to try to establish that which is good, which is so virtuous and so good that it is maruf, it is known and recognizable by any sane human being that it is good. To establish that justice, not that it is disagreed upon, but that justice that anyone and everyone knows and agrees to be just. That's called maruf. And nahin al-munkar, to repudiate and to repel and to prohibit and to save people. And if we can't save them, to stop them. And to stop them in the most noble and dignified manner. And to try to stop them in a way that their own dignity could be preserved. But if they are unrepentant and they are relentless, and the only way to stop them may compromise their dignity. But if in order to save the dignity of innocence, we may have to expose them. Then to do that, nahin al-mulkar. But to know that it's only and only the will of Allah SWT, if any efforts have any level of success. This is the correct approach. Now, all of this is much easier said than done. And you would find that this is also one of the great benefits of having real, true, muttaqeen, salihin, shiyukh, of which there are hardly a few left on this earth. Because they were the ones who also had the hikmah and the wisdom and the marifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and the kubudiyah and acceptance in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when they were leading and spearheading the effort of Amr bin Maruf and Nahan al-Munkar, then there was barakah, there was blessing in that effort. There was iqtidal, there was justice and equilibrium in that effort. There was wisdom and balance in that effort. And without that pious and blessed and knowledgeable and wise leadership, many times sincere members of the ummah find themselves at a loss at how to correct the wrong, how to remove the injustice, how to defend or rescue the innocent. And because they're at a loss, many times they make a mistake. Sometimes they overreach, overreact. Sometimes they're too complacent. They underreach, they underachieve. Allah Akbar But meanwhile, shaitan is operating full speed and certain few minority segment of humanity which is committed to creating evil and injustice in the world, but they are also operating full speed. And then you hear horrors of injustice, horrors of betrayal, horrors that take place even within the people of deen, even within the places of deen. And in fact, the most terrific is when, precisely when, a person of deen, a person who represents deen, a person who symbolizes deen, is revealed to be actually a fraud, a person who was untrue to deen. And these things obviously don't happen overnight. Injustice takes a long time, but ultimately, yes, then it rears its ugly head. Hmm? Ajib Imam al-Hadad in his Risalat al-Ma'awan a book of assistance and not him alone indeed even other ulama have written a very interesting thing that when you're doing Nahin al-Munkar if in the effort to refute or repudiate that fitna there is a high probability that a greater fitna will emerge and you should not refute and refute that first fitna and the jurors use this understanding even to talk about rebellion against governments in the Muslim lands, even historically. But should one rebel? What if one the rebellion leads to a worse situation? Worse for whom? Worse for the people? Worse for the masses? But it, again, it's very difficult to figure out what is best for the masses. It's very difficult to figure out what course of action will backfire what course of action will have a beneficial effect it's very difficult to figure out how can i temper my actions so that they don't have any negative effect they only have a positive effect i've met in my own life especially in the past couple of years very senior ulama who are unable to do this and they can't figure it out and so they just choose the path of inaction and then the injustices remain. Allah Akbar. And innocents uh, continue to be affected. This was one of the great things of the Sufiya of the past. And this is the real meaning of Barakah. Barakah isn't that, oh, my sheikh gives me good advice on my business, and then I make a lot of money, and then my sheikh comes to me, and because he was the one who advised me, Allah Akbar, my business, 
So I feel that all of my profits are due to his advice. Therefore, I should throw money at my sheikh. Allah Akbar. This is also a perversion of the relationship. And you know, some of the members of our South Asian community, you know, Indian, Pakistani communities who live in these countries, UK and South Africa, they have this problem. Few of them, I've met some few businessmen like that, that they had a sheikh and the sheikh used to advise them in their business and their business did well. They used to throw money at the sheikh. Not for work of being, just waste, luxury. May Allah Ta'ala protect all ulama and all shiuch from students who end up spoiling them. And may Allah Ta'ala grant all ulama and all shiuch from students who serve them well and serve their teachings well and protect their ulama and shiuch from the pitfalls and traps of shaitan, but not from the dunya. What used to happen was the shiuch were guides of humanity. The shiuch were guides and protectors of the oppressed. That's why you find that so many of the early Sufiya, they used to spend time with the poor. They used to mingle with the poor. They used to sit with the poor. He converted hundreds and thousands of poor Hindu Indians from untouchable caste. Why? Because he used to sit with them, he used to talk with them, he reached out to them. So he won them over for Tawheed, for Iman, for Deen of Islam. And today there are some shiuch who are so VIP and only the ultra-rich can even get access to them. And even they come from small towns where they're very poor people and they cannot even bat an eye towards that poverty. Then there are some people who are so busy, they love to live in a five-star hotel and fly in first class and have live in fancy mansions. And then to protect this material nature in them, they delude their followers by telling them one story of one sheikh who used to be wealthy and who used to tell his students that dunya is not having wealth, it's having love and dunya in your heart. But that was a different time. That was a time when the Ummah was Ghalib. That was when Islamic civilization was Ghalib. That was when so many people in the Muslim world had these luxuries. But we live in a time of poverty, of injustice, of oppression. We live in a time when the Ummah is Maghlub, is not Ghalib. What happened to the teachings of the Zuhud, the teachings of abstinence from the dunya, to abstain even from that which is permissible? So there are very few now left who have been able to combine the souls and Tazkiyah with the true, not the fake rallying call to social justice that is done by Western NGOs, no, the real call to justice that is part of our deen, which is especially to protect the oppressed and to remove the oppression from those who are oppressed, to remove the Muslimiyah from the Muslimin. Alhamdulillah, at the same time, we see these great efforts, and there are many organizations, and I, you know, if I mention their name, it doesn't mean I know all about them, or I sanction everything they do, or I have performed a financial audit on them, but still, Alhamdulillah, we are happy at the work 
whether it's Islamic Relief or Al-Imdad or Ummah Welfare Trust or many other lesser-known organizations or even individuals are doing to help the disaster-stricken, more afflicted, the poor and the needy. And this is a great aspect of our tizkiyah. And really, if we are not at all sensitive and not at all able to cure, or at least to want to cure, in our own humble, insignificant way to make a drop, to make a dent in the wrongs around us, we're not going to be able to get perfect success in fixing the wrongs inside us. But it, yes, it's a very delicate matter. It requires a lot of wisdom and patience and temperance and guidance. But indeed, those are the very sifat and attributes that the path of the seeker is supposed to nurture in a person. Those are the very sifat and attributes that the path of ilm is supposed to nurture in a person. The person who is on the path of ilm and zikr not only are they, yes, qualified and duty-bound to do Dawat al-Din, but they are also uniquely qualified because of their ilm and dhikr to help remove oppressions and injustices in the world in a manner that is just and balanced and in a manner that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should not think about how many oppressions and injustices are out of our reach to fix, which is indeed the majority of it. But we should think, was there any one injustice that maybe we could have even reduced slightly through some humble, feeble effort of ours, if Allah had traced that effort with his kububiyah and his acceptance? Surely there must be something like that. There must be one poor person who we could have pulled even somewhat out of poverty. There must have been some widow, some orphan, some rape victim, some molestation victim who we could have smiled upon or nurtured or given a place in our home or our friends or our family or our heart, given them that feeling of love and support to counter that horrific abuse and hurt that was done upon them. Could there not be some person who is deluded in committing sin could we not have saved such a person instead of blindly defending them? Could we not have guided them? Could we not have applied pressure on them to change and mend their ways? When one reflects, indeed, there are so many chances Allah does give us to be a suburb of fair, to be a positive means of change and reform in others' lives. It's not just a shiuch who can do islah, of others, but all of us, Allah Ta'ala tells in the Quran, all believers, what the will what the that all believers will mutually enjoin one another to haq and truth, and all believers must mutually enjoin one another to sabr, to patience, fortitude, endurance, perseverance, steadfastness on the path of being. How many opportunities have we had to do these two things? And how many times have we failed to do that? Maybe if we had helped someone else, Allah Ta'ala would have helped us. And this is Allah Ta'ala's promise in the Quran Al-Kareem, that if you help Allah, Allah Ta'ala will help you. And obviously what Allah Ta'ala means is that ulama Ta'ala explain, Allah Ta'ala is obviously beyond anybody's help. It means if you help the deen of Allah, 
you help the cause of Allah, if you help fulfill the wishes of Allah, if you help the slaves and creation of Allah, Allah will help you. But to Allah has infinite mercy and also Allah has infinite wisdom to show us the magnitude of the importance of this. That Allah SWT says in such a way that if you help Allah, so, if sometimes a person who is trying on the path of zikr, trying to progress on the path of ibadah, path of zikr, path of tazkiyah, and they find themselves stumbling, they find themselves slacking, they cannot only drive in one lane. They should then try to do something for the good, for the ummah, for khair, for others, for the poor, the needy, the oppressed, the lonely, the bad. And maybe when they do that activity of khidmah, may not even be dawah, strictly speaking. Maybe they don't even mention deen to that person. Maybe they simply try to uplift that person. That itself is deen. Believe me, if any one of us were successful in being a khidmah of service to a person, Selflessly, then after that act of khidmah, the opportunity of dawah would be immense. How many opportunities of dawah could have been created through acts of khidmah? But because we failed to become people of khidmah, those opportunities of dawah were never created. And this was one of the hallmarks of the Sufi. The Sufi was a person of khidmah, a person of service. And it was their service to humanity that had the effect of dawah and that millions of human beings converted and accepted deen of Islam at the hands of their great Sufiya. Allah Akbar So strange that people want to leave this aspect of the soul out and they just want to have the very VIP elitist Sufism. They just want to have a sheikh and they bear to a sheikh so they have a Sufi identity. Sufi personality, so they tick that box on their list of what it means. So many young Maulanas or even middle-aged Maulanas and Muftis feel the need to become a Sheikh and they just want to give bear to a Sheikh so they get Salafa, they want to have a Mujah so they feel like a Sheikh and act like a Sheikh. So they tick the box on their list of what they feel is the Dini role. But it wasn't enough that Allah Ta'ala blessed them to become an Imam or a Khatib or an Alim or a Mudarris or a Mufti. Sahib a fatwa mufti, a real mufti, a one who, mashallah, can write fatwa, a one who can do tahih, who can correct the answers of others and verify and certify answers to be correct. Sometimes some of us underreach and sometimes some of us overreach. And those who overreach end up in all types of rivalries and jealousies. And then they lose their ikhlas, they lose their sincerity. And if there's anything that a Sufi is meant to be, a Sufi was mukhlis, pure and sincere and humble. Allah Akbar, I remember I was once standing next to a person and uh, there was two, three other people standing with me. And this person mentioned something about him not wanting to visit some country or talk to someone. And then, you know, one person asked why. I said, oh, because they think I'm a sheikh. Allah Akbar, Hajib. So even in this own small personal conversation, he ended up admitting to me and the other person standing there, that yes, this is just a perception. So why are we so 
insistent on maintaining this perception with people. The real shiuch viewed themselves as ab, as ibad, as slaves of Allah Ta'ala. They were not constantly thinking about to create and then feed this perception of their mashihiyat, of their shaykhdom to people. This is, alhamdulillah, one of the great things and one of the most distinguishing things about Shaykh Mulana Kumra Zaman Sahabi the unassuming personality, humble personality, not actively, dynamically, artificially trying to present themselves as something, but truly always viewing themselves to be nothing. And then through that humility and sincerity, Allah accepts them to be guides. This is true to souls. And even sometimes they're true Messiahs like that, but then their students, Allah Akbar, their students forget the humility of their own Shaykh and they try to recast their Shaykh. Recently a work was published where the students of a Shaykh who recently passed away, they referred to him as the Mujaddid. Mujaddid is Zamana. That deen is not considered wise to make some claims about the living, and it's not wise to make such claims about those who have so recently passed away. But this was an unfortunate reality and a real unfortunate problem in quite a number of the followers of the shaykh. That they viewed their shaykh to be the best shaykh in the world and better than all the shaykh and Qutbullah Shah and Abdal and Mujaddid and and this is so very against the teaching and massage of the great ulama Dirband, and especially Sheikh Rashif al-Ibhanabirim In one of his works, it's mentioned in a letter that somebody, letter or one of his malfuzat, his sayings, that somebody came up with the term ashrafiya, meaning to denote the sultana, tariqat, that is going to Sheikh Rashif al-Ibhanabirim. And he got so upset, he said, don't call it ashrafiya, don't use my name to found or create some new name. But again, today we have people who use this term, when we lose our humility and our sincerity, we lose the real opportunities of Shibna and Dawa because we've been so insistent on these perceived opportunities and perceptions of Shibna and Dawa. And meanwhile, the ordinary person who suffers, the ordinary believer had a right on the Zakirin and the Talaba. The ordinary believer has a right on the Ulama and Shayukh that they should have ikhlas and adz and sincerity and humility. And they should become people of khidmah, service and dawah, calling and inviting people with love to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, any Talib or Taliba, any Zakir, Zakira, Murid, Murida, Salik, Salika, these are all just words. The reality is that, that you can take these learnings and these teachings and use them to remove the bad in ourselves and use it to help remove the evil around us. That is the real task. And we live in a time of such fitna that you know, the Ashab Kahf, they moved into the cave because of the terrible things the unbelievers were doing 
in that society. But now we live in a world where the believers are doing terrible things in the society of the believers. How much fitna there is in the Muslim world, how much murder, how much rape, how much lying, how much deception, how much fraud, how much corruption, how much oppression, how much violence, how much infidelity, how much adultery, how much neglecting of salah, how much leaving of the sunnah, Allah Akbar. These things have become so, they're still on the rise. They've become so rampant and they're still increasing in the believers, in the societies of believers, in the families of believers, in our ummah. And so this is a fitna that I think even the Ashab al couldn't have imagined. Because for them, it was a society of unbelievers that were doing these things. And so yes, we need to have our fortresses, we need to have our caves, we need to have our retreats, whether that for someone means going on Jamaat and Tabliq, whether for someone that means going on Umrah, whether for someone that means sitting in a Takaf, whether for someone that means spending a few hours a day in a Dalagum learning Deen, whether for someone that means doing their part-time Tahfiz, memorizing Quran, you need that sanctuary to survive in this world. And until we build those sanctuaries in our life, in our daily life, in our schedule, until we have an escape, we have a retreat, we have a sanctuary, we will get caught up in the fitna of the dunya. And we'll be dragged. And if anyone has been blessed by Allah subhanahu wa that they have not yet been dragged into sin or questioning their iman, they shouldn't view this as their accomplishment. This is just the hifaza the protection of Allah SWT, that He has saved us. If any of our children have been saved thus far, this is the protection of Allah SWT. Otherwise, we were living in times of fitna where people just like us, people better than us, have been swallowed by the fitna. Children just like ours, children better than ours, have been swallowed by the fitna. If we could realize this, we would fall in salud, in sadda, shukr, gratitude to Allah SWT. If we knew and realized how much Allah Ta'ala has protected us, we may, when we're harsh on ourselves, which we should be as individuals, think we're struggling in deen, we're lacking in deen, we're lapsing in deen. But at the same time, we should realize that any even drop of deen that we have, any amal that we managed to do, any shidma or da'wah that we ever did, any gathering we ever attended, any drop of deen we ever learned, all of this was the incredible karam and fazl of Allah All of this was the hifaz and protection of Allah Who were we ever to have learned anything in deen? Who were we to even attend a single gathering of deen? Who were we to even have set foot once in Makkah, Makarma, Madina, Manawra? Who were we to even enter a masjid of Allah This is the incredible mercy of Allah and in times of fitna, Allah chose somebody as wretched and not practicing and lax as people like us. Still, did Allah connect us to deen? How much sugar we should make to Allah SWT? How much more we should try and become better in our deen? How much we should strive in our deen? How much we should try to spread the deen, to share the deen, to serve the deen, to be true upon deen, to be loyal to the deen? to represent the deen. 
So maybe we cannot fix things on a big scale, but certainly Allah has given us the hidayah to fix things on a small scale. And if all of us in the ummah are to fix things on a small scale, and Allah Ta'ala will fix things on the big scale, then what will happen? The mashayikh, ulama, would guide people to become individually salihin, muttaqeen, dhakirin, tawabin, qalitin, and people start fixing themselves on the small scale. And then all these efforts of deen having their local small scale effect would earn the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala, attract the mercy of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, then he's fixing on the big scale. But we are now as an Ummah in a very crisis situation. So it's all the more important that people who fancy themselves to be on the path of the Sawaf should have more truth and more honesty and more humility in more sincerity. And how tragic it is that increasingly large numbers of Sufis have lost their very attributes, have left the path of truth for falsehood, have left the path of humility for delusions of grandeur.